If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com, Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. You're walking through a clearing and you come across this sound it sounds like a man moaning and you walk up to him and he raises a hand up to you and begs you for help and you can clearly see that he's wounded and wounded badly 
Do you think you have what it takes? Do you think you have it inside of you, whether you consider this good or bad? Most people probably consider it bad to walk up to that man and shove a bayonet into his stomach. Do you think that's something just for barbarians? We'll come back to that. The Japanese are a different people. They always have been different. I will tell you, you've probably heard it before when you've heard me discuss them. You will almost definitely hear it today. If it sounds like I have a bit of admiration for the Japanese culture, guilty as charged. I do. Not saying they're perfect, but you know my thoughts. Nobody's perfect. I don't do this, you know, these people are saints, these people are sinners thing. I don't do that. This culture is perfect. This culture is garbage. I mean, there are some garbage cultures. I've told you about them. And the emails you're writing to me as we speak about the monstrous subhuman things done by the Japanese, especially like in World War II, they're all right. Uh, You're welcome to send the email. You know, I read them all. They're all right. I'm not arguing with you about that. I know it. But their culture is different. It's insular. Maybe that's part of being an island nation as they are. I know a lot of that comes from their their history. You know, they had a real kind of a feudal system and samurai, and it was just a rigid, rigid culture to this day. To this day in this modern world, not really much violent crime. <laughs> Hardly any violent crime, even in their major cities. It just doesn't. What other place in the world has that? Every other place, the United States of America included, in major cities has real, serious, violent crime problems. Not so much in Japan. And leading up to World War II, I'm still, I've had people explain this to me. Like real historians, I've had them try to explain this to me. And I still don't understand how they did what they did when it comes to World War II leading up to it. And here's what I mean by that. They had, especially, you know, late 1800s, they were backwards. And I mean backwards, probably mid-1800s, compared to everybody else as far as technological advancements. They had nothing. They just decided... They weren't going to move along with everyone else. Now we're not advancing anything. My sword's doing me just fine. Think I'll head out to the rice rice patties. Ah, well, we're musket. Muskets are fine. And almost all of a sudden, they woke up one day. Now, it wasn't all of a sudden. People were landing there. They were finding out about how the rest of the world was doing things. But they look around one day and just decide, you know what? I think we're going to advance now. And and just did it. <laughs> just did it. It would. It's. This is a bad comparison, but it would be like some some tribe emerging from the Amazon and walking into your 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 life, seeing your cell phone and and your Netflix and the oven and the microwave and everything, and just saying, you know what? I'm gonna do this too. 
and you show up at their house the next week and they have all your stuff and better stuff. And you think to yourself, what? And they just, through force of will, woke up one day and decided we're going to advance rapidly. I think that's incredible. Maybe, maybe part of my admiration for Japan is I want that kind of obsessive self-discipline. Now, I'm obsessive. As you know, I've broken this down for you before. I have an all-in personality, good and bad. I guess you could say the same about Japan. Good and bad, they're all in when they're in. When Japan did war, World War II, they did it all the way. That's really good sometimes. Sometimes that's really, really, really bad. So maybe that's it. Maybe I admire that. But I admire the self-discipline too. I just think it's cool. Now, Japan gets its stuff together. They go from being a backwards country to a really, I mean, top-of-the-line country. They get involved in World War I on our side. Then, and not that involved, let me clarify here. They're not, they're not in the trenches on the Western Front. They get kind of involved, do a little of this, little of that. They're helping. They're fine. And then at the end... When we were divvying up everything and deciding who got what, because certainly Germany deserved to get screwed, Japan got left out. And some of that, and you're going to hear me talk about this a lot today, as you always hear me talk about, some of that was racism. Now, I do not do what every single other person, especially on the right, does, and people do it on the left does, about racism. This is racism. That's racist. Oh, everybody's racist. Uh, when I say it was racism, that's because it was, uh, and Japan was more racist than anybody else. Japan was terrible, too. They thought they were superior to the Chinese. They thought they were superior to us. Caucasians thought they were superior to the Japanese. That is, again, the history of the world. You're all out there trying to fight racism every day when that is human nature. Fight it in yourself. Don't worry about other people. It's always going to be around, I promise you. But they did think of the Japanese as lesser and lower, so they had a little axe to grind. And Japan starts building up this military machine. And then they decide, I mean, we all think that World War II started December 7th, 1941, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, you know. Or if you want to backtrack a little more, well, it started when Hitler invaded Poland. Um... It really started when the Japanese invaded China, which is a weird deal. I'm not going into it today because it's not what today's about. But Japan just kind of started moving into China and then started moving their military into China and then just started shooting people in China. And soon Japan decided, I like this. I like this part of China. We're going to stay. This is ours now. This was before Hitler ever invaded Poland. But... America starts to get involved, meaning we're cutting Japan off from valuable supplies they don't have on their island. They had no oil. The world was running on oil. Japan had, to its credit, again, built up an elite navy by this point, and it ran on oil. 
So they're taking over other islands, and now they're mad at the United States of America. In America, under FDR, we are starting to level at them some very, very, very significant threats. It should be noted, pay attention, because it's happening as we speak. Other parts of the world joined us in leveling those very serious threats at Japan. Um, stop what you're doing. Get out of China. Stop that. Okay, you're cut off. All right, I'm going to ask my buddy to cut you off too if you don't. Okay, you're all right. Now my buddy's going to cut you off too. And tensions are growing. And you have people who aren't going to lay down. And we're not going to lay down. And now you got a problem. Hang on. Now, tensions are rising. Japan is wanting China and more. Wanting, and I should say, see, again, it's going to sound like I'm defending them. This is the worst because I kind of am. Wanting and needing more. You have this big navy. A military, you need to think of it this way because ours is no different. Right now and always, any military ever. What have I always told you? What is that saying I blatantly ripped off from somebody and I don't remember who it is? Amateur study tactics, professional study logistics, a military always needs to be thought of thought of as a gigantic hungry animal. A gigantic hungry animal must eat, it must drink. And when you are Japan and you have built up this juggernaut of an army and a navy, especially a navy because they're so expensive to build and it takes so much to keep them going, you now need resources. You do not have them on your home islands of Japan. You're going to go get them. So Japan comes up with a plan. And here's their plan. Well, America has cut us off. That sucks. America also is a manufacturing juggernaut. Again, nobody talks about this today, but remember that great Japanese admiral, I believe it was Yamamoto was his name, said anybody who has seen the oil fields of Texas or the auto factories of Detroit knows you cannot win a long naval war with the United States of America. That's his exact quote. You may not think about it, I may not think about it, but other countries very, very, very much look at manufacturing capability when they're looking at military capability. One of the first things Hitler did was send people over here and examine the manufacturing capability of America. Again, it should be noted they went back and told him what it was. He laughed in their faces saying there's no way it's that high, and they actually undershot. <laughs> America won World War One and World War II on the factory lines. Things get broken. Things get damaged. 
Oh no, our aircraft carrier's down. We're Japan. This is going to take six months to fix. Oh no, our aircraft carrier's down. We're America. We'll have it out in a week. That's a big, big, big difference. A big difference. So Japan knew this. But Japan had a plan. Contrary to what you've heard, Japan knew attacking Pearl Harbor was borderline suicidal. They knew it. They were very open with each other about it. They also thought, and you could make the argument they were right. Again, this is me defending Japan. That it was their only shot. They had no shot otherwise. Their thinking was, we can sit here and let America cut us off from their goods and let America use their influence to cut us off from the world's goods, or we can take a cheap shot at America, try to put them down on the canvas for an eight count. While we take that cheap shot, we take a bunch of these islands that are flush with resources around us, dig in, build a fortress. By the time America gets back up, they will decide it's going to be way too expensive in money and blood to take back our fortress. Then they work with us. That is actually not a bad plan. They knew it was a long shot. They were open about it. They laughed at him. They laughed at Yamamoto when he brought it up. And he said, if you don't do it, I'll quit because it's our only chance. And they were like, ah, okay, we'll try. It was their only shot and they knew it. So they did it. I'm not going to go through Pearl Harbor. It's not about Pearl Harbor. They nail us. They wound us. They do not cripple us for good. And frankly, again, they underestimated our manufacturing. We repaired a lot faster. But understand this. Americans, because we're Americans and there ain't nothing wrong with this, we focus on America when it comes to conflicts and what it meant for America. Pearl Harbor was a big deal. It was a big moment. And God rest their souls. We're going to do a Memorial Day special, by the way, Monday on the guys we've lost. But America likes to focus on December 7th, 1941. You mention that to any American, they'll mention Pearl Harbor. For Japan, Pearl Harbor was simply one of the many things they had planned for that day and the two or three days after. You see, in one of the most remarkable coordinated things I've ever seen in military history, Japan attacked several places. All those islands I said they wanted to take, and they attacked them within 48 hours of Pearl Harbor and took them all. Do you know how long it takes to cross an ocean with an army to take an island from somebody? And this island is 1,000 miles away, but this island is 250 miles away, and that island's 2,000 miles away, but this island's 500 miles away, this island's 3,000 miles. Are you seeing what I'm saying? You have to send off this force at exactly this time, and this force has to be sent off at exactly that time. Up, oh, this force can't leave yet. Up, oh, this force should have left a month ago. And somehow they had it down to a science. When I say remarkable people, I mean it. It was impressive. It is impressive. And they launched, and they took all these islands, and they began to build their fortress. And I mean dug in. They were shipping workers, construction workers, engineers, and concrete into these islands like you cannot possibly imagine creating the island fortresses you know today when you think about the Marine and Army island hopping campaign through the Pacific as much as it 
absolutely wounds me to give credit to the Army for any of that. Yes, they were heavily involved in that as well. It's thought of as a Marine Corps thing, and yeah, the Marines were the tip of that spear. The Army was there fighting beside us a lot. A lot. Now, which brings us to the opening battle. Japan had a great Navy at this time. Our Navy, it should be noted, was not great yet. It was good. It was potential. It was potentially the greatest the world's ever seen. Meaning, look at our Navy today. Of course, it's the greatest the world's ever seen. If you look at our numbers today of our Navy, go pull it up. You'll find a little chart on Google Images real quick. Our Navy is not better than everyone else's. It's so much better than everyone else's. Second place can't even really be considered second place. Our Navy is absurdly good. Absurdly good. Now, China is trying to close that gap, but our Navy is absurdly good. But they were not yet. And we do this. We look at Japan's Navy and our Navy, and we think, huh. Japanese had no chance. Oh, they had the better Navy at this time. They did. And they had these gigantic juggernaut battleships. Japan's Navy was very impressive. But we need to start taking back some of these islands, which brings us to a place, a living hell called Guadalcanal. We have not tangled... On land with the Japanese yet. So what happens when you haven't actually fought someone yet? Well, you are really, really susceptible to propaganda. Both sides. Them and us. We thought, and I mean, there's some truth to this. We thought these guys were freaking barbarians. We had gotten word back on the things that had already happened by this point in time in places like Nanking. Rape and human atrocities and torture and there was, I mean, look, you can go read the books about it in Marine Corps boot camp and Marine Corps training. You'd have drill instructors talking about how the Japanese can survive for 3,000 years on a piece of beef jerky. And all. I mean, it's, it's obviously stuff that's not true, but eh, it's kind of true. Hang on. You need a good night's sleep every single night. And I know that cycle you're in because I've been in it where you don't sleep one night and it sucks. And then you don't sleep two nights and it sucks. And maybe the third night sometimes you're so exhausted you actually pass out and get six or seven hours and you wake up and you think, man, I feel a lot better. This schedule is going to work for me. Buddy, it's not going to work for you. Long-term, it is terrible for your health. It's terrible for your mental performance, your physical performance. You need to sleep. Go get an ebb sleep. It's a wearable device, not pills, a wearable device that calms your thoughts and puts you to sleep. Go to tryebb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. And use the promo code JESSE, get you 25 bucks off. Go start sleeping today.
Well, Japanese are dug in. We're going to motor our way across the ocean and get them undug in. But remember the conversation we just had about the Navy? The Marine Corps is going through the exact same thing you think of the Marine Corps in great terms. And you should. Look, this great fighting force, I may sound like a bit of a homer there, but they're pretty daggone good, man. Real good. But at this time, at the beginning of World War II, they're not that yet. They have the right mentality. They have that same aggressive Marine Corps mentality you know and love. They do. But there, one, there aren't that many of them. We're talking under 100,000. Granted, by the end of the war, there's half a million. By now, there aren't that many of them. There just aren't. So you got to get some Marines. You have to figure out how you're even going to land on these islands because the plan is to land on the islands. That sounds easy, right? Well, hop on one of those, hop on one of those thingies, the tank-looking thingies, where they, 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 you get on them and then they drive into the water and they drive onto the beach. Yeah, that, that sounds good now. That didn't exist then. You got to invent one. You got to figure out. Um, okay, this is difficult. And then and now and always understand this landing a fighting force from the ocean onto land, amphibious operations, they're called, is very, very, very difficult. It just is very difficult. The ocean is unforgiving. It's not just a smooth like you putter across. You have to have something seaworthy. You have to have something seaworthy that's relatively bulletproof, gives you some kind of protection against something. Oh, and by the way, bulletproof means it needs armor. Armor means weight. Weight means it's going to sink lower in the water. Sinking lower in the water means you can't get by the coral reefs to get on the island. Are you seeing the problems? They're endless. The ocean is unpredictable. It provides no cover whatsoever. They're sitting there dug into the land, and this is back in bow and arrow age. Bow and arrow age. <laughs> Let alone guns and artillery. They're dug in. They've got their sights already zeroed in on certain parts in the water. You are coming from the ocean. There's no cover whatsoever. Amphibious operations, landings from an ocean onto the land in assault are very, very, very difficult. It just creates a tactical nightmare. And the Marine Corps has to figure out how to do this and figure out how to do this to dislodge a dug-in capable foe. And remember, we thought the Japanese were crazy barbarians, which they kind of were. The Japanese, however, and this is going to be a big part of our story. Well, they, one, were believing a lot of their own press because, let's be honest, they've been kicking the crap out of everyone for some time now. These places they were taking, yeah, they were taking some losses, but they were the far superior fighting force. And wouldn't that have an impact on you? If you were some kind of fighter of some kind, 
a boxer, a warrior, whatever you're doing, and you've spent years now beating the daylights out of everybody you face and hardly ever getting a bloody nose, wouldn't that creep into your psyche of, these guys are pillow soft. (laughs) Clearly I'm superior. And remember, there was a racist thing there, too. Look, it wasn't just us calling them Japs and Nips and everything else, They the, the, the derogatory names they used for the Japanese. They hated us, too, and they thought we were an inferior race. They thought the Chinese were an inferior race. They did. And they thought Americans were soft, very, very soft. They thought we were soft and privileged and just were going to be no match for them at all. So we need to learn how to land on the islands, and we go to New Zealand to do training first, and then they decide, uh, never mind, we're just going to go. Uh-oh. We haven't even trained first. They they left New Zealand, tried to get, do some training in the Fiji Islands, then they left the Fiji Islands before getting the training done, and they were so disorganized and left so quickly, they accidentally left Marines behind in the Fiji Islands. Imagine that. Standing there watching the boat sail away. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to be on those ships. That's That looks like all of our ships. And now we get to Guadalcanal. And now you have to land. And you think you were about ready to face the meat-eating barbarian super assassins. And you motor your way down. And the reason you're landing on Guadalcanal is there's an airfield. The Japanese have put an airfield there. And airfields were essentially everything in the island hopping campaign. This is the era. This is the only era you and I have ever known, but this is the era of the airplane. Of fighter planes, bomber planes, supply planes. Planes are your whole world. Everybody likes to talk about the aircraft carriers and battleships of World War II. It was the planes, man. The planes were the ones taking out ships. It was the planes. Planes were the ones resupplying. And we, if we were going to get a toehold, had to take this island. We land and we discover this island is essentially every single crappy environment rolled up into one. You land. Apparently the beaches are beautiful there. I've never been. And now you've got to contend with sand. You leave the sand And you get into thick, disgusting jungle. All jungles are not the same. This jungle was disgusting. To this day, everybody talks about how bad it smelled. If you read an old guy's story about it, if you hear an old guy talk about it, the whole island stunk. And it stunk because the trees were so thick, the sun couldn't get to the bottom. So everything on the jungle floor was wet and soggy and rotted. And you know that horrible smell, right? Humid. Rivers, because as you leave the jungle and move inland, you go through gigantic elephant grass, which slices your skin open, and then you get to mountains. Well, mountains mean water. Water means it's going to flow downhill somewhere, which means rivers. Did I mention Guadalcanal had saltwater crocodiles? And what else are you going to get with that much water sitting around? Mosquitoes. Malaria was a gigantic, gigantic problem. They were issuing medicines to try to get, it was a preventative medicine to keep you from getting malaria. But 
I don't know what the medicine was. I know our anti-malaria medication did some messed up things to my mind, boy. I'm not kidding. You would take it before we did our jungle warfare training and you would have the most vivid nightmares you've ever had in your life. Don't tell me that that's somehow healthy for the human body, that I'm taking an anti-malaria pill that makes me dream things. <laughs> that doesn't That doesn't sound good at all. Now they land on this island and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking D-Day, right? They're, they're going to they're dying as the boat ramps are dropping. Nope. One, there weren't that many Japanese fighters there. Two, they weren't even on the beaches. These guys landed right away, and the biggest problem they had was all the equipment they were unloading was piling up on the beach. All right, we got to move this stuff somewhere. Then they go, and this airfield they had to take, they take it pretty much right away. Not even that much fighting. And they're looking around thinking, man, did they overhype this Japanese army. There ain't even that many of them. I don't see what the big deal is, right? Except so often in life, the big deal comes from a place you're not expecting. And the big deal was on the way. BoomerNaturals.com. That's the website you need. Now, that's the website you need for quite a few things, but mainly what I want to talk to you about today is face masks. You and I both know whether you want to wear one or not, you're going to have to wear one at some point in time. Here's what I mean by that. Employers are going to start requiring people to wear them in order to come back to work. We're already seeing this. We're seeing it in various big box chains around the country. You walk in, face mask is required, or you're not allowed to shop there. And if you think it's going to stop there, you're wrong. It's going to be sporting events, concerts, planes already are requiring it. You have to have a face mask. Why not get a comfortable one and a good one from BoomerNaturals.com? Go to BoomerNaturals.com and use the code JESSE20 at checkout. Get you 20% off everything you buy every time you buy. BoomerNaturals.com, promo code JESSE20. We land, we take the airfield, life is good, right? Well, no, because we still got a major, major problem. Remember, as of right now, their Navy's better than ours. Our Navy is green. They don't know what they're doing. Now, we also didn't have a big one yet. Obviously, we're not, we're not at that stage where we're churning out carriers and battleships and planes. This is early, and we know the aircraft carriers, the Navy we have is precious and should be guarded preciously. And so people look at what I'm about to describe to you as something that some kind of abandonment of the Marines. It really wasn't that. Strategically, it was the right move. 
Now, I've always been firmly on the side of the Marines because I was a Marine, and I I can't imagine this feeling, but what happened was we landed the Marines on the island, and before we could even give them enough food and ammunition, started losing a little naval skirmish here, a naval skirmish there. Our Navy got slapped around so bad they actually had, you know, a, a, a trial for it. Some guy killed himself, one of the captains. The Navy took off. Hey, we'd love to sit here and unload all our stuff. We'd love to give you all your food and ammo, but we can't risk our ships, man. We got to bug out. Good luck. Now, imagine this. If you're a young Marine, they're not superhuman. They're just people. You are not a seasoned veteran, most of them by this point in time. You're a young, fresh-faced Marine. You've just been landed on an island controlled by superhuman barbarians who survive off one grain of rice for 9,000 days. It's not true, but that's what you believe. They don't give you all your food or ammunition, and you watch as the Navy sails away and leaves you there. Yeah. Not good. Now, there's way, way, way too much into the Guadalcanal battle that that I could ever unpack in a show or even will try to unpack in this show. I mean, it went on until February. And understand, it wasn't only this main island. There were a couple little mini islands around it with some vicious, vicious fighting. One of the islands had a, marine, a bunch of Marine Raiders, which were essentially Marine Corps Special Forces, These guys were studs, and they got so savage, they essentially just pulled out the whole unit when they were done because they were all either dead or wounded. It was vicious, vicious fighting. But the Japanese start to land on Guadalcanal. Well, there's no U.S. Navy. We want to take that airfield back. Let's land, and let's start beating up these effeminate Marines. These are Americans. Bunch of sissies. And they land... And that old problem that gets you into trouble every single time, well, it got the Japanese in bad trouble. We are Japan. We are are superior. These people are a bunch of women. You know what? I bet they're going to be scared to death if we attack at night. And so instead of a smart well-reconned approach to attempting to take back a Marine Corps defensive position here or a Marine Corps defensive position there. They just thought they were going to charge in and steamroll the Marines in the middle of the night, only it's the Marines, Jack. And we mopped them up. Bad. Really, really, really bad. And then they throw in a first wave and then a second wave. And, and it's all those bonsai charges you like to hear about where they just, just eventually throw themselves at a machine gun position. And here's where the two different cultures, one, I am not going to say turned out to be superior, but for World War II purposes, turned out to be superior. We started learning some things about the Japanese, some harsh lessons, and applied those harsh lessons. 
we started learning that that guy from the beginning of the show who's laying down, wounded, waving for help in the field, you better shoot him in the face or bayonet him right away. Not because you're cruel or because you believe in prisoners of war, because he's almost undoubtedly holding a grenade with the pin pulled or hiding it underneath him to blow you up because he wants to die and kill you with him. In one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen in studying all these battles and wars, no Japanese army ever surrendered in mass in World War II. Do you know how absurd that is? Every single other country had armies surrender in mass at various times. Never once happened in Japan. They would not surrender. And we learned they're not surrendering. They're probably just trying to kill you. And we started killing prisoners as they're surrendering. Does that offend you? It shouldn't. That's life. You see, real war is not Captain America with his shield and his perfect teeth. And yes, ma'am, and no, sir. Real war, especially war like that, it's ugly. I remember watching an interview some years back with one of the Marine Raiders. And what had happened was they had come across some of our guys who had been captured by the Japanese. You had to send out two or three man parties to do different things. That's just the way combat works. We need to go fix some wire here. We need to go set up an observation post here. And the Japanese, well, they did warfare the old ways. And torture was a part of that. And they found our guys in really, really, really bad shape. Dead and did not die well. And it it always struck me. This Marine Raider flat out said to the camera, I don't remember. I don't remember that we ever took a Japanese prisoner after that. Now, you know what he's saying. We don't like to think about it, right? These are our greatest generation and they are. But. What he's saying is we killed them all. Every single one of them. Shoot. And some units, even in the Italian campaign, it was simply a matter of policy. (laughs) Not official, mind you. But it was simply a matter of policy. Because we didn't have too much pride like they did. We learned who they were. And we applied those lessons. Hang on a sec, we'll finish up. The Jesse Kelly Show. is the Jesse Kelly show. So, 
We learned who they were. The problem is the Japanese refused for far too long, and you can argue for the entire war. Guadalcanal is just the first of many, but it's maybe the best example of it. They refused to learn who we were. We were not soft. We were not uniquely frightened by night attacks. We were not going to run away when they came screaming with a bonsai attack. These were United States Marines. And they were really, really good, man. (laughs) They were really good. And they were really tough. And the Japanese just kept doing these stupid things that you would do if you thought you were facing an inferior, weak coward. They could have learned from the first failed one or the second failed one. And I'm not going to go over the Battle of Bloody Ridge and all the other different battles in Guadalcanal because we've already gone on a little long today. But it's a fascinating conflict with vicious fighting. But in the end, they had to abandon the island because they would throw thousands and thousands and thousands of guys at it. And even though our guys half the time were starving... They couldn't get us out. What dooms you so much of the time in life, and there's a reason it's in the Bible, pride goeth before the fall, it's pride, man. Being too proud to learn. Being too proud to advance. Too proud to adjust from failed strategies. If you're the Democrats right now, you have a golden opportunity to bounce a sitting president. When I say golden opportunity, I'm not saying I think Trump loses. I definitely think there's a chance chance Trump loses. We have new polling out from swing states, but you know how polling goes now. But the best defense of any sitting president is the economy. Sitting presidents get reelected about 75% of the time. Let's just understand something. In, in normal circumstances, it's very, 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 very hard to bounce a sitting president. It's the power of the office. Everybody complains about the president. Everybody hates the head coach. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. Uh, this is his fault, and that's his fault, and he sucks, and he sucks. But in the end, you know him, and you're still getting a paycheck, and yeah, all right, I'm going to vote for him. I just won't tell anybody. That's how it works, Republican or Democrat. People will vote for the devil they know. It's hard to bounce them. However, your best chance at bouncing a sitting president, unless you get a third-party candidate like the whole Ross Perot, Clinton, Bush thing, The best chance at bouncing a sitting president is a bad economy, period. It just is. All of a sudden, you're not getting a paycheck anymore. Guess what else matters to you politically? Nothing. I hope you've never been in this situation before, but I have been in this situation before where I don't have work. And when you don't have work... That is a feeling that I can't describe to you unless you've been there. 
when you're staring at a family and the bills are piling up and these bills are due and you have no money coming in and there's no money in the bank, brother, I don't want to hear about anything else. I don't want to hear about your foreign policy. I don't want to hear about social issues. I don't want to hear about anything else. Until I can feed my family, I don't want to hear about anything else. And as long as I am feeding my family, I'm pretty okay with it. That's part of your priority, right, in life. Just the way it is. So with an economy bad, you are ripe for takeover if you're a president, Democrat or Republican. So let's be honest. We have 40 million people unemployed, at least. It's actually 50 or 60. This is a great opportunity for Democrats to take over the presidency, period. It is. I don't want that. I'm voting for Trump. I'm going to tell you to vote for Trump, but it is a great opportunity for Democrats to take over the presidency. And pride is going to doom them. Three things they're doing right now. One, they're not taking the wide open lane of being pro-open up the economy. Trump has been pro-lockdown. He's changing direction now, but he's been heavily pro-lockdown. That is going to be a huge weakness come November if you have anybody willing to say this guy killed the economy by locking us down. Instead, Democrats are have too much pride to stand up and say, he killed the economy. What are they saying? Oh, we, we need more lockdowns. He's costing lives. The public is not going to blame the president for lost lives during a pandemic. They're just not going to, nor should they. He didn't do it. That's one. Two. Joe Biden. I'm not even being mean to Joe at this point in time. The guy cannot speak. He can't get through a five-minute television interview from the comfort of his home speaking clearly. That guy is not going to be president of the United States. A scared Desperate American public is not walking into the polls in November and voting for a senile, possibly dementia-riddled patient. They're not. They won't do it. And you have every opportunity in the world right now to put your heads together, get the billionaire donors together, get the party leaders together, and let's figure this out. Okay, we can't have Joe. That's fine. Let's change directions. But pride is killing you. You can't get together as a party and just say, hey, remember when we ran everyone else out of the race and left it for Joe? Hey, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. We screwed up. Let's change that. Let's fix that. I don't have too much pride to admit. I screwed up when I suggested Joe Biden We need to abandon ship now. And finally, too much pride to admit some of these policies they have just aren't popular. They're just not popular. I admit so many of the things I want. I'm telling you right now. I would like to, if put in charge of everything in America tomorrow, I would do things that would horrify you. I would take virtually every single government bureaucracy 
and I would drop their budget to zero and fire every employee, and I would demo the building and salt the earth behind it. You'd be mortified. If I had my way, I'd eliminate the public school system in America. Yeah, I can see you staring at the radio in disbelief right now. I would. I think it has been a horror show that has been part of destroying this culture and bringing down the country. FBI, gone. Department of Education, gone. Taxing the rich guy more than the poor guy, gone. Flat tax for everybody. I would do things that would horrify you. But I can at least admit, I don't have too much pride to admit it, I can at least admit that's not popular. I'm outside of the mainstream. I'm not going to sit here and say everybody would vote for my eliminate the FBI policy. No, people would be horrified. My gosh, 70-80% of the public would be like, oh my word. They would. So when you have this Democrat policy that I'm about to talk about, it's unpopular. It has been unpopular. It is unpopular. And it will be unpopular, especially in this current environment. And they can't change. I just, my jaw drops. Hang on. Paramount Tax Relief knows how to take on the IRS, and that is important. How many times have you heard me get behind this microphone and talk about this army taking on that army, this tribe taking on that army, this culture taking on that culture, and there's always this massive difference in how good one of them is. Some are amateurs. Some are professionals. You and I are are amateurs when it comes to taking on the IRS. Paramount Tax Relief, they're the pros. If you owe $10,000 or more, there's actually a chance you qualify for a new CNC tax program. It allows you to stop making payments while you're in it. Yes, Paramount Tax Relief has solutions for you. Don't panic. Don't try to fight that fight yourself. Get a professional to fight for you. 800-816-8749. 800-816-8749, Paramount Tax Relief. Biden pledged to dump Keystone Pipeline would kill thousands of jobs. This is from Free Beacon. I understand Democrat commitment to the cult of climate change. I get it 100%. It's everything they've ever wanted, which is no coincidence, by the way. Wow. Let's see. There's all of a sudden some quote-unquote science out there that says the government should take control of everything. How convenient. Wow, did that work out really, really well. Anyway, I believe in it all the way. Uh, very much so. <laughs> like we can't see you absolute morons. However, you're committed to climate change. I get that. And some of that, keep in mind, is donor-based. 
Much of what you see in politics is what your big campaign donors will allow. And the truth is there are some very, 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 very wealthy people in this world committed to the climate change cult, both because they believe in it, one, and two, because they've figured out a way to make money from it. So they will insist before they write that gigantic gigantic check to the Democrat Party or candidates, they will insist your candidate marches down the climate change cult in lockstep. That's just how they do their business. But... How can you be so stupid that you won't let that go when 50 million people are unemployed? That's always been the big killer of that is there's never a good answer. When Joe Biden stands up in Pennsylvania and promises to kill fracking, um, okay, you just lost Pennsylvania. What's, what's wrong with you? You idiot. The big, the big thing about climate change, the big problem politically is it is a job killer and Democrats have no good answer for it. Oh, these people will have to learn new jobs. Wait, what? You just told a Rust Belt swing voter who feeds his wife and three kids on an oil job that he's just got to learn to do something new? Uh, screw you. No. A, a man will... And I admit I'm the exact same way. A man will vote against every single principle he's ever had if it means he still gets to feed his family. With all due respect to you and everybody else, uh, my family has to come first. I have an obligation as a man to feed my family. Even before my country, my family comes first. And that's not abnormal. That's the normal human condition. Uh, My kids ain't going to starve. And other people are that way. And they have way too much. I'm stunned watching it. They have way too much pride to just let it go. You don't even have to change directions. You just let it go. If you have an agenda that is a job-killing agenda, the climate change stuff, you probably can't change course Again, because of the donors. But you can shut up about it. Can't you? Can't you shut up about it? I think maybe that's one of the problems society faces today, too. And I see this all the time. I see it all over social media. I see it on the news when I turn on the news at night. People have a really, really, really hard time shutting up. And what I mean by that is... You'll get somebody who's done something stupid or something terrible, and we've all done something stupid and something terrible. Believe me, I have a laundry list of awful things I've done in my life. Um, I don't come on the radio and talk about them every day. Granted, I tell you about a bunch of them. <laughs> it's a little bit of a different show. But people, just shut up. People, when's the last time you got on one of your social media things, whichever you do, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for the kids? I'm on there now, too. When's the last time you got on and didn't see somebody vomiting out all their problems? You know, you can keep that stuff to yourself. Just shut up. You see these politicians, they get themselves into trouble. That that Katie Hill, we joked about her yesterday, that congresswoman from California. 
who was uh, aggressively team building with pretty much everybody on her staff, and so she had to resign. To this day, she still talks about it all the time. I didn't really do this. I didn't do that. He leaked something out. They shouldn't have said it. Just shut up. It's a 24-hour news cycle now. Most people would have pretty much forgotten about it, but you won't shut up. Shut up. The day is going to come. You ready for this? Write this down. The day is going to come when I am going to say or do something really, really stupid or flat-out terrible or morally wrong, either on the air or off the air, it's going to happen because, one, I'm a soulless, awful monster, and, two, I'm just a human being. The day is coming. We all know I'm just a walking controversy waiting to happen. Everybody knows it. When that day comes, get ready for this. I'm probably not even going to say sorry. I'm just going to stop talking about it and move right along like nothing happened. Ready for that? Because it's coming. I see people make this mistake time and time and time again. He's putting out a statement. He's going to put out a formal statement today. Oh, here's his formal statement. I'd just really like to apologize that I'd never paid my taxes before. I, I, I wish someone had told me I was supposed to pay taxes, but I'm really, really, really sorry. And then the next day, did I mention how sorry I was about the taxes? And then the next month, man, I'm so sorry about the taxes. And then the next year, gosh, I can't believe I forgot to pay my taxes. Just shut up. Everyone forgot about it until you kept bringing it up. Shut up. Let it go. Move along. Helpful information for Democrats there that none of them will take for heart. Now, here's something we all have to take to heart. The question was posed, and I answered it, and I'm apparently causing a little bit of a controversy about these four fried chicken restaurants. Four. Raising Cane's, Chick-fil-A, Popeye's, and Churches. I understand there are others out there, and I love them. I had all these people yelling at me, what about Zaxby's and KFC? And uh, You've never had my local grocery store. Don't be that guy, by the way. When someone's having fun with something, I actually prefer my local grocery store. Yeah, I got it, but I got it. Thank you, fun sucker. Thank you for joining us today. Every party has a pooper. That's why we invited you, party pooper. Those four are the four we're dealing with. Popeyes, Canes, Churches, and Chick-fil-A. And the question was asked, which one has to go? Now, I said I thought the answer to that question was extremely easy. Extremely easy, but... You may disagree, and if you disagree, you're stupid. (laughs) I'll quit, Chris. We can make jokes. You can email me, by the way, jesse at jessekellyshow.com, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Again, I read every single email you send, every one of them. Most of the time, I will not respond because I get way too many to respond to, but you send it, I read it, and sometimes I laugh about them on air. You can also catch any part of the show you missed because they podcast the show right after the show. That's on iHeart, 
Google, Spotify. It's on iTunes. And when you get on iTunes, do not forget to leave me a five-star review after you subscribe. And then leave a review talking about how handsome I am. I'm going to get to those here in just a few. But first, we need to talk to Selena Zito about chicken and the president. Hang on. I'm a big fan of natural products. I always have been. I always will be. I have enough of people in my family in the medical community, and they say these chemicals we are putting in our bodies, even you know some of the medicines out there, they're bad for you in the long run. In the end, it's always better to stick with natural products, and that's what you get at Boomer Naturals. It's not just that they have face masks, although that's awesome. They have natural products to improve your quality of life. Go to BoomerNaturals.com right now and check out what I'm talking about. It's more than just face masks. They have things there for you that won't wreck your liver, but they have face masks too. And you and I both know, even if you don't want one, you're going to need one very, very soon. BoomerNaturals.com. Use the promo code JESSE20 at checkout. Get you 20% off. BoomerNaturals.com. Every now and then, we just like to get close to power on this show. And so we're talking to Selena Zito because she hangs with the Prez. And she talks with Pompeo. She's this big fancy author of The Great Revolt and Washington Examiner and New York Post and all that other stuff. But Selena, how is it talking to the president of the United States and why were you talking? Were you advising him on military matters? Oh, yeah, that's right. First, mm-hmm. I have to give a shameless plug. I hope everyone goes to selenazito.com and reads the stories and signs up for my emails because they're free, fun, and not fattening. But um, so I was... I interviewed the president at Owens and Miner, a distribution. It's a manufacturing company, but I was at their distribution center in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and he was there to thank their workers for uh, the job they have done in making sure that the uh, the items that Owens and Miner makes, which is um, all things for the healthcare industry, surgical masks, surgical gowns, um, gloves. Uh, temp, you know, uh, um, ways to take your temperature, all those the thermometers, all those kinds of things. And um, he uh, held, uh, well, there's probably about 60 workers that came out. They had their gloves on, they had masks on, um, but they were there to just sort of get a thank you uh, for the president. What was really interesting to me is that Allentown is about five and a half hours from Pittsburgh, if you take the back roads. And when I got there at about 10 in the morning, the streets were leading from the, from the local airport to this distribution company were just lined, I mean, well over a mile, possibly two miles, well, of people who just spontaneously showed up to, uh, to greet uh, the president and there were you know there's a lot of red white and blue going on 
Uh, there are lost American flags being waved. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I thought that was kind of fascinating because they weren't really going to see him. You know, they're going to see his car go by and like hope that the dude that's waving to him is actually him. Uh, and and uh, they weren't going to even get to hear him uh, speak because, you know, there's no rallies uh, currently. So I thought the enthusiasm to me was really fascinating. I get that same thing wherever I go to people lining up. Well, I'm sure you do. I was going to mention that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, be honest, Selena, because you got to interview the president. Did you get like some super secret secret service bypass of the line and all that where they came out and escorted you in on a helicopter or something? my cheap 300 miles to get there and i was put in a holding area which was the back of uh what would look like as as similar to like an amazon distribution center just like there there is nothing glamorous about my job let me just put that right out there Uh, you know you drive five hours out you drive five hours out and you know i had to stand for a good five hours because you really there was nowhere to sit and you really couldn't touch anything because you're not supposed to touch anything. So, but the interview went great. I hope people go to selenazio.com and read it. Um, it, it, it. I put the transcript in full. So there's some funny parts in there. Like when he tells me how I have the best hair in America, <laughs> um, which was, <laughs> which was interesting. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I will say this. I have interviewed, that was the sixth time that I have interviewed, the president, and that is the best I've ever seen him look. And I have this theory about, and and, and I'm talking about uh, his weight, I'm talking about his energy, and I was also just talking about sort of um, just his coloring. He just looked energized and excited. You know, and I think part of that, Jesse, is that I always look at presidents as sort of like these majestic lions, no matter which president it it is, right? Mm -hmm. When they're out there and they're in the Serengeti, you know, like in the wild with the people, they're majestic and they they feed off that energy of being in the country. But when they're in the White House, they're sort of like the cage lion in the the zoo. And and so I think presidents... enjoy the interaction with people. They learn a lot from seeing about what's going on outside of that bubble of D.C. And that I saw that reflected in him. Uh, It was throughout the entire interview, but also through his speech to the uh, workers at Owens and Minor. So you attribute that to him being out and about and nothing else, the fact that he looked so good? I mean, look, I'm a dude. I don't recognize how people look but uh, clearly you are more observant than me. But I'm serious, you, you, you attribute that to just him being able to get out? I actually do. Think about this. Like, say everyone that's listening, think about, like, the weeks and weeks and weeks that you have spent inside, if you've had to. Where I live, they're going to keep us at home for the rest of our lives. Uh, but that exhilarated feeling, that sort of rush of endorphins, that you feel when you're out taking a walk, going on a road trip, going fishing, you know, uh, um, uh, playing soccer or baseball with your, your kids or your family. I mean, just sort of anything. You immediately have this surge of um, endorphins and you feel good about yourself and you feel about, good about things that are around you. I suspect it was probably a lot of that. 
Selena, if you had a Chick-fil-A, a Raising Cane's, a Popeye's chicken, and a Church's chicken in front of you, and you had to dump one of them, which one are you dumping? Oh, God, there's going to be so much hate from this. I'm going to dump, I'm going to dump Popeye's. It's too salty for me. What in the, what is your problem? <laughs> oh. Have you had the chicken, okay, have you and, had the and, chicken sandwich? In fair, no. In fairness, I've only had Popeye's once. And oh. I had it at an airport. Twenty minutes. Oh. I had it at an airport and it was like nuggets. And it was like old. So... I'm not going to dump anything. I'm going to take that back. I'm not dumping anything because I've got to try all of them. You're um, so nice. In, in, in their best, in sort of their best form. I don't think airport chicken is probably the best form. Yeah, you can't get airport chicken. You can't You can't ever judge by the airport. They're putting the worst <laughs> staffers at the airport. They're getting the worst <laughs> supplies at the airport. Nobody, Nobody who has options is going through TSA to go to work every day. Nobody. I was hungry. And I don't usually fly, and everybody talked about Popeye's, so I bought it. But it was, it was, it was not the best choice I made. But I'm going to give them a second chance because we're talking airport food, and as you just pointed out, it ain't the best in the world. Why were you flying? Were you doing some undercover work for the CIA or something? Oh yeah, right. No, mm-hmm. I um, <laughs> gave us beach in Los Angeles. And the only reason I didn't drive, because I have driven to California many times, was because it was in the middle of January. And between Pittsburgh and California, there's a lot of snowstorms that happen. And mm-hmm. uh, this girl doesn't do snow and ice storms anymore. What's the best sandwich you've ever had in your life? Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go local. It's a it's a it's called a Primanis. Uh They put um you know, the, the, uh, you can have the burger or the chicken uh, along with the coleslaw and the French fries and lettuce and tomato and onion. And it's on homemade Italian bread. And it is unlike anything you will ever taste in your life. The reason the coleslaw and the French fries are on the sandwich is because these sandwiches were born out of the steel industry. And when they used to serve them, the guys were coming in and out of their shift. So they didn't want to have all these things to, like, dip and use a fork or whatever. They just wanted to eat their sandwich and get back to work. So they used to wrap them in newspaper and just put everything on the sandwich. And now they're sort of iconic. Okay. I don't support the coleslaw and lettuce and tomato and all that other stuff because it's not a salad. But I'll tell you what, it's a cool history to it. I think that's really, really cool. Selena Zito, plug your website one more time before I hang up on you. Oh, please go to Selena Zito, S-A-L-E-N-A-Z-I-T-O.com. Check out my stories. Please sign up for my email. They're free, they're fun, and they're not fattening. Thanks, Selena. Thanks, Jesse. <laughs> I don't, I'm not all about that coleslaw life. I can't, I know. All right, we need to have a serious fried chicken discussion, and we got to talk about, uh-oh, Joe Biden might actually be in some trouble. <laughs> Hang on. Chick-fil-A, Raising Cane's, Popeye's Chicken, Church's Chicken.
Now let's give an honest analysis of where we actually are with these four chicken giants. Giants of the industry, Chris. Chick-fil-A, look, let's let's just not debate this. Chick-fil-A has the best overall eating experience. Now, I'm a slave to my stomach, as everybody knows. So I'm big on just give me the good food. I will drive way out of my way and far for good food. I will put up with a lot of crappy service. If the food is dynamite, I will. Give me a good meal. I will put up with a lot. There's this uh, place in here close by. I'm not going to name them right now. But they are from New Orleans. And they serve up po'boys and crawfish and, and, and Cajun mac and cheese and this stuff. And it's some of the best stuff you've ever eaten in your life. And they could not possibly be any more rude when you walk in. From the second you walk in the door to the second you leave, they quite literally act like you were an inconvenience. You get that a lot from people from New Orleans, but they treat you like crap. Absolute crap. Maybe it's just the people from New Orleans who moved here because I hear New Orleans is amazing. However, I still go back. Why do I go back? Because when I walk in there and plop $10 down, I'm about to get $10 of the best food you can eat in your life. I don't care if you spit my face when I'm done eating if you're serving me food like that. It's been my gripe against these, you know, these restaurant and these restaurants that always they hire the scantily clad hot young chicks. You know what I'm talking about? The Twin Peaks, Hooters model. There are more out there. I don't mean to just name drop those two. But my main gripe is generally, um, yeah, but the food sucks. I mean, I'm a red-blooded American male. I got nothing against walking into Hooters and having a pitcher of beer and watching the game with a couple buddies, but I'm not going because the food sucks. It just does. I have always said you can pretty much tell if a restaurant has good food by the hotness of the waitresses. It's not just limited to those. You walk in a restaurant and it's a bunch of nines and tens waiting on you, I bet you money the food sucks. I bet it does. Or the same thing applies to a great location. You walk in a restaurant because it's it's on the water with this great patio over and if you sit out there at the perfect time of day, you could watch the sunset and see the dolphins dance in formation for you. The food's going to suck. Why? Because the food is generally only as good as it has to be in any location. I can complain all I want about Hooters till I'm blue in the face. I guarantee they're still going to fill the place up every Sunday in football season because men are what men are, and they want to drink beer around hot women. And I ain't mad at you. I'm not judging you here. Just saying. So why would I spend the extra money if I'm Hooters buying fresher food, hiring a chef who's really dynamite with some great new recipes? Why would I bother with any of that when you're still filling up the place to see the Hooters girls. They're not going to. So in general, I'm a food guy. Give me the restaurant that treats me like crap in an out-of-the-way location with a bunch of haggard waitresses as long as you're giving me the chow, baby. I'm all about the stomach. I said all that 
which seemed like a lot more than I had originally intended, I said all that to say this. Service really is really nice at Chick-fil-A. I mean, isn't it? Can't we just, producer Chris, can't we just acknowledge the service at Chick-fil-A? I mean, it's, you can argue that I don't like the chicken. You can argue they put too much of this, not enough of that. It's too expensive, whatever. All those stuff, all those things are fine, but there's just something to be said for service with a smile. Yes, sir. No, sir. It's my pleasure. Yes, of course. I'll get that for you. Yes, of course. The efficiency of the staff. It's not just the friendliness because the place is super popular. It's packed at all times and they still motor you through the place, motor you through the place. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I have long argued and I'll argue with you right now that Chick-fil-A has something special figured out with their vetting and training process. And they should start a completely separate corporate division at Chick-fil-A, mainly to train other restaurants how to do what they do for a price. Oh, and I'm talking all the way up to Fortune 500 companies, but other fast, fast food companies too. Oh, you would like to know how to do what we do? Okay, absolutely. Happy to help out. $100,000, and we will come give you a uh, three-day, one-week seminar on how to do what we do. They would make a fortune because whatever it is, they're pulling from the same pool of idiots, of high school idiots that Taco Bell is, and you know I love my T-Bell, but I go to T-Bell and I consistently deal with the stupidest people that walk the earth and I drive across the street with the people from the same same age group and the same town into Chick-fil-A and I get treated like a king. Something's missing there. Hang on. I fell asleep right away last night. I know that's going to be like not that big of a news to you. Well, that's because you didn't sleep like I did. (laughs) The truth is, the truth is we need sleep, man. You need sleep. I need sleep. And on nights where I fall asleep right away, I wake up and feel different. I feel better. It is a great feeling. And it's one I want you to have to go get an ebb sleep. An ebb sleep is a wearable device that applies continuous cooling to your forehead area, putting you to sleep faster and keeping you asleep. It's been clinically tested. This is not some fake news thing. Go get an ebb sleep, put it on, start improving everything in your life, not just your sleep. Everything in your life gets better when you get a good night's sleep. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code jesse at checkout. Get you 25 bucks off. They have something figured out. And again, they're pulling from the same pool. In, In your area, in my little suburb where I live, I mean, there's only so many kids aged. Uh, how old How do you have to be to get hired these days, boys? Mitchell, Chris, you two are both 12, 13. You think it's 16? Is it 16? Okay, so let's say they're all pulling from the same pool. There's only so many 16 to 
19, 20 year olds in your town? There's only so many, right? They're all hiring them. How does Taco Bell get all the idiots and Chick-fil-A gets every kid who's going to be a CEO one day? I don't understand the difference. The gap is mind boggling. I'm sure a lot of it's vetting, underrated, and a lot of it's training. So let's agree of the four chicken restaurants. It's really not debatable. Chick-fil-A has the overall service experience figured out. Not just friendliness, speed. They've screwed it up before, but in general, they get your order right every time. Extremely underrated. You know, when I ask for fries, I don't want a fruit cup kind of a thing. Now we go on to Raising Cane's. Raising Cane's. This is where stuff's going to, but it's about to get hectic in here. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Raising Canes. Now, my first... Raising Cane's experience was also in an airport, and I have been there more than once, so I'm about to have some some harsh words for Raising Cane's, but I need to clarify. We're in a situation where we have four chicken restaurants, and I have to drop one. I'm not saying it's going to be Cane's, but here's the situation. Raising Cane's has some amazing Texas toast stuff they serve with their chicken. I've seen the masks out there and their breakfast stuff is awesome. Their hash browns are these seasoned little hash brown circles. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Here's the issue. Their chicken isn't good. The actual chicken itself is not good. It's just not. The sauce, that cane sauce, that they guard like Fort Knox, they charge you a million dollars extra for it. The sauce is amazing. The chicken is rubbery and crappy every single time. Now, very similar to the Hooters story, there's still a line at Cane's. Cane's is going to do fine. I will still eat at Cane's on occasion. But that chicken is not good. It is not good. It's bad chicken. Now, Popeye's. Popeye's has a service problem, meaning most of the service is either really dumb or really rude or both. That's just a fact. (laughs) 
really dumb or really rude, but Popeye's has incredible chicken. Incredible chicken and their blackened ranch, one of the most underrated condiments out there. Absolutely incredible. Churches. Churches also has very good chicken, although not quite as good as Popeye's. And Churches has maybe the most underrated menu item in the United States of America more people don't know about. They're called Jalapeno Cheese Bombers, and they are so good. I told you that one gross story about the guy with the fingernails before when he ruined my cheese bombers. Yeah, that's the story. But if I got to drop one, I'm dropping canes, man. I'm dropping canes. I love a good sauce. I've heard it argued. You've heard me say before. I didn't come up with this concept, but all this, all food is just a vehicle for sauce. I don't think I'd go that far before, but that's how big of a sauce man I am. I kind of agree with it. But sauce is not enough to carry you if your chicken sucks. It's not. All right. Headline, Ukrainian lawmaker releases recorded phone call of Biden-Porshenko that contain eyebrow-raising remarks. Andy Durkach, an independent, independent member of the Ukraine's parliament, said at a press conference on Tuesday received, he received a recorded phone call conversations between presumptive Democrat nominee Joe Biden, then vice president in the Obama administration, and former Ukrainian Ukrainian President Peter Petro Poroshenko, which Durchich reportedly played at the press conference. The Post reports that Durkach has passed links to Russian intelligence and that he claimed that the tapes were made by Poroshenko. The Post noted that the clips consisted of edited fragments of phone conversations, but did not dispute that the clips were authentic. Uh Uh-oh. Before I go further, let's just keep in mind the current president of the United States of America, Donald Trump, was just impeached over a Ukrainian phone call with pretty much nothing in it. Allow me to go on. The Post said the recordings shed relatively little new light on Biden's actions in Ukraine which were hotly contested. However, one particular exchange stood out as potentially newsworthy. In one of the audio clips that Durkach Durkach allegedly released Friday, appeared to tell Biden, we don't have any information about him doing something wrong. I have some positive and negative news. I will start with the positive news. Yesterday, I met with General Prosecutor Shokin, and despite the fact we didn't have any corruption charges, I specifically asked him no. I specifically asked him no. It was the day before. Clearly, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't relay this right. I specifically asked him to resign as his position as a state person, and despite of the fact that he has support in the power, and as a finish of meeting with him, this guy's English sucks. He promised me to give him the statement on resignation, and one hour ago. He bring me the written statement of his resignation. I'm reading this verbatim, people. It's not my fault. And this is my second step for keeping my promises. For keeping my promises. What promises? 
He's talking about firing the prosecutor who was looking into Biden, looking into Biden's son, and he says to Joe Biden, keeping my promises? What promises were those? I mean, how much of a conversation do you have to hear in order to know that something bad was going on? Look, context is everything. Maybe there's something more to it, but that is potentially a really big deal, right? A really, really, really big deal? Keeping my promises? What were the promises? Why did you make the promises? What did you get in exchange for making those promises? And remember this. Impeachment and coronavirus and economic disaster and Joe, Biden, Joe Biden's new allegations from Tara Reid and all those things. Those are all, you know, big things. Those are all things that matter. But um, we've still never gotten an answer for how Joe Biden, how his son managed to get a $50,000 a month job in Ukraine in a job where he had no experience at all. And you know why we've never gotten an explanation for that? Because there is no explanation for that. Because there is no world that Hunter Biden gets that job without Joe Biden doing something for somebody or promising to do something for somebody. $50,000 a month is big boy money. That is a lot of cash. 50 grand a month, especially when you consider it's $50,000 a month and you don't get anything back from your employee for it because he doesn't know what he's doing. There's no explanation for that. None. How does Hunter Biden get that job? We all know, don't we? He got that job because Joe Biden was vice president. And Joe Biden, I mean, can we say we know that he promised somebody something? Can we at least say somebody thought he was going to give them something? Because you don't pay anybody 50 grand a month without getting something back. I've seen the masks out there and uh, people, if you're going to wear a face mask and look, I don't fault you if you want to, maybe you're in a situation where you're vulnerable. Maybe you're around people who are vulnerable. Maybe you're just doing it out of respect for other people, whatever your reasons, that's fine. But if you're going to wear one, for goodness sake, wear a good one. BoomerNaturals.com has antibacterial protection at over 92% on their masks. And here's the thing. They have adult sizes 
and they have kid sizes. It is embarrassing some of these masks I've seen on these poor kids. Parents, buy your kid a, a mask that actually fits them, and they have everything you need at BoomerNaturals.com. And when you go to BoomerNaturals.com and you use the code JESSE20 at checkout, you get 20% off every single order. BoomerNaturals.com. The code is JESSE20. Go save yourself some money. You remember when I talked about Democrats not being able to stop themselves from some of the unpopular parts of their agenda? We talked earlier about the the jobs killing stuff, the climate change stuff. Even if you really believe it, even if you're all about that, even if your donors are demanding it, dude, you can't be promising to wipe out jobs at a time when 40 million Americans are out of work. Oh, but wait, there's more. During a time where people are desperate and scared and dying and going broke, Democrats are trying to give money to illegal immigrants? In one week, the Democrats have shown us exactly what they want to do. In one week's time, May 8th, one week ago, seven Democrats on the Coronavirus Select Committee send a letter to Universal Stainless and Alloy Products in western Pennsylvania, and they say, give back your PPP money. Right, here's a letter. You have not returned these funds. Three days later, May 11th, four of our colleagues, two Democrats, two Republicans, send a letter to those seven Democrats and say, hey, hey, wait a minute. Universal Stainless followed the rules. They're entitled to their money. If they have to give it back, they will have to lay off steel workers. And today, this bill does what? This bill does what? It gives tax dollars to illegal immigrants. In one week's time, Take money from steel workers, give it to illegal immigrants. That's the Democrat vision for their country. And if for no other reason, that's why we should vote against this bill. Did you just hear that? Did you just hear that? I'm going to play that for you one more time. And I want you to listen to all of it again. Look at a, at a time when Americans are desperate. Listen to what Democrats are doing. In one week, the Democrats have shown us exactly what they want to do. In one week's time, May 8th, one week ago, seven Democrats on the Coronavirus Select Committee send a letter to Universal Stainless and Alloy Products in western Pennsylvania, and they say, give back your PPP money. Right, here's a letter. You have not returned these funds. Three days later, May 11th, four of our colleagues, two Democrats, two Republicans, send a letter to those seven Democrats and say, hey, hey, wait a minute. Universal Stainless followed the rules. They're entitled to their money. If they have to give it back, they will have to lay off steel workers. And today, this bill does what? This bill does what? It gives tax dollars to illegal immigrants. In one week's time, take money from steel workers, give it to illegal immigrants. That's the Democrat vision for their country. And if for no other reason, that's why we should vote against this bill. Too much pride. They're not, they're not all stupid. They're not. Granted, some of them are stupid. <laughs> but they're not all stupid. Too much pride to step away from who you are. You have an opportunity, if you're a Democrat, 
to gain back serious seats in November. People were scared. People were mad. To possibly gain back the presidency of the United States of America. 40, 50 million Americans who've had their livelihoods wiped out. 100,000 small businesses already gone for life. Gone forever. And you're trying to basically fire steel workers and hire illegal immigrants. How in the world can you have that much pride you're not smart enough to change course? I don't get it, man. And you know, I'm staring at this headline and I wasn't exactly sure how to address it. Two southern churches forced to reclose after leaders and congregants get coronavirus. The reason I'm not sure how to address it is I have a couple different feelings on it. But I guess I'll just come out and give it to you between the eyes like I always do. You understand we're going to get coronavirus, right? Lots of us. Lots of us. Not everybody, but they have no cure for coronavirus. They have no vaccine. And I don't care what all the doctors and scientists and politicians are telling you, there's an excellent chance, if you look at history, that they never have a vaccine for this thing, ever. You don't just snap your fingers and come up with a vaccine for something. And maybe you're an anti-vaccine person anyway. What I'm saying is coronavirus is here, and it is here to stay. And this is what drove me nuts about Texas's quote-unquote reopening, even though I'm glad we're doing something. You remember when we opened and we were opened at at 25% first and the statement was put out, well, we're going to open at 25% and we're going to see how it works for a couple weeks. And if there aren't any flare ups, as long as there's nothing, then we'll open at 50 and we'll we'll just kind of dip our second toe in the water and see how the water feels. And look, whoa, 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 make sure, make sure it's fine. Make sure it's safe. Maybe a third toe the following. What? People, it's an infectious disease. I know this sucks to hear. I do. Especially in this bubble-bound, scared suburban soccer mom society we live in. But I'm telling you, it's out there. It is going to be out there. People are going to get sick. When you open up your church, which you should do, when you open up your church so people can gather together again and worship God and churches, which are the fabric of our community, can continue to be so, when you open up your church with an infectious disease out there, some people are going to catch it. If you are that worried about it, stop going to church. We cannot, and I see this from the president, from senators, from congressmen, from from mayors, from governors, all the way on down. We cannot open in such a way that we won't ever get coronavirus. That is insane. Insane. Nobody in the history of the world that I've ever been able to find would ever even think about talking like that. We're going to open up again as long as no one gets sick. What? People are going to get sick. Some people 
I hope it's nobody you love. I hope it's nobody I love. Some people are going to die. Did you know that? Did you know that some people are going to die? They are. You have to go on living, people. You know that there's a chance this is my last radio broadcast ever. Did you know that? There's certainly a chance. Look how many people die in traffic accidents every single year. You know when I'm done on the radio today, I'm going to get in my pickup truck and I'm going to hop on the highway and I'm going to drive home. And do you know that I'm going to be surrounded by semi-trucks, by people who are texting on their phone, quite literally texting, staring at their phone, driving 80 miles an hour? People who don't have a license, people who've lost their license, people who are changing lanes without signaling. Do you know, maybe I'll spill hot coffee on my knee and look down. There are 8 million and one ways between the studio and my home. I might die today. It's part of life. We don't like to think about it, especially parents. I believe me, I'm here. I'm, I'm with you. When I think about my little buddies and how I would do anything to make sure they're safe forever, they won't be. They won't be. They can't be. You can't be safe. You can take steps to try to stay safer, but you got to live, man. You have got to live. You cannot safe your way through this life and have any kind of life worth living. Come on now. Joining me now, Green Beret, host of Hollywood Weapons on the Outdoor Channel, Terry Shepard. Terry, what's this about my haircut? You got some kind of problem with my haircut? <laughs> I was, uh, your, your producer just said, hey, before you go on, do you have any questions for Jesse? By the way, I have several, mm-hmm. but the first, the first, the biggest question is, as me and my boys are always asking, how did this guy get this job? You just cannot figure this out. Um, and then, but I didn't want to embarrass you on TV, uh, TV on radio. But I already got it out there, so I feel good about that. And I was just like, I want to ask about his hair. And he's like, Well, you know, Jesse would never do anything illegal. And I was like, We'll just stop right there. Let's just stop right there. First of all, first of all, I got the job completely by accident. I have fallen backwards into this thing in the course of like two years. And we all know that there's a serious shelf life problem on it. I'll be gone within a year. Everybody knows I'm going to get in some kind of major trouble. That's one. Two, I have sadly done many illegal things in my life. And three, actually, it's funny you should bring that up. The most recent illegal thing I've done is I blatantly violated these ridiculous, stupid orders they gave us around here. And I smuggled my barber into my home as if I was running cocaine and had him give me a haircut and a shave on my back patio. (laughs) We are all criminals now. You know, 
but I was I was talking to to my dad the other day. He's you know he's he's got some health problems. But we were talking. I said, you know, Pop, I think what happened with all of this, there was a middle way, right? I think America was on board with, you know, all this changing information. But we were cool with the idea of, okay, keep some distance, hand sanitizers, got it. Uh, I mean, you know, minimize maybe some of what you do. Okay, we'll we'll do that. And then I think the biggest thing was, you know quarantine and kind of isolate as best you can people who we know might be vulnerable you know old and sick people we were cool with that the country was cool with that but that middle way was discarded and so i think what you see now in the country is this pushback sometimes maybe extreme but but you have to understand we've been fed two three things one we've been fed constantly changing information from experts We've had moving goalposts regarding the goals and outcomes of what we were going to do, and then we've also been getting looked down their nose. We've been, you know, we've been we've been admonished by people who are getting paychecks, who are not going to lose their house, and who are not worried about feeding their families. And so, the pushback that you see, whether you agree with it or not, I think it's interesting. All our clever media types have been hammering the, you know, dumb rednecks out in the street, but not one of those people doing that ever went near the government goons who did this to us. Mm-hmm. Not, and, and I will say this, too, as much as me and the boys give you a hard time, we love you. And you were like one of the first cats right off the bat to call this. And I even thought, I go, huh, this is either going to be totally correct or Jesse's going to get crushed. You were right. You were right. You called it. Way, you called it right from the beginning. Yeah. So good on you. Well, I appreciate it, but that's actually sadly one of the things I wish I was wrong about. Because yes, yeah, I know. And you, and by the way, you kept saying that so many times. I, you know, because we follow each other, and I can't remember how many times you said, "Dude, I." People are like, "You're you're a jerk." You're, you're like, "Yeah, sure, I am," but I also hope I'm wrong. And you were not wrong. You yeah. know, this is actually. I think we're going to look back on this when the dust settles and just, and I hope some people say, what the heck did we do? You know, Terry, I have no faith whatsoever in experts and I don't know where that comes from. I don't know whether that's a born thing, whether that's a parent thing. I have just a professional career. I don't know where that comes from, but I don't walk in for a doctor's appointment and have the doctor tell me something and automatically think, oh, that must be true. If it sounds true and reasonable, then I go with it. If it doesn't, then I assume he's an idiot and I go find somebody else. However, I appear appear to be in a minority there. Where do you stand on that stuff? Well, I'm with you, man. I mean, look, I think, first of all, guys like us were raised a certain way to kind of sort of, I don't know, maybe question authority, respect authority, mm-hmm. but also question it. We also saw it in our military career. I saw guys that were in charge of me, certainly a lot of the higher level guys. And I was like, uh, no, this cat's wrong. I also think there is a prevailing strain of attitude. Uh, clearly uh, over the decades has been, there's been attempts to uh, beat that out of us and it's been successful, but there's a prevailing strain in America, which is always kind of questioning authority, which is always very protective of, you know, what the government can do to us and and my and our individual rights. Um, I mean, it's clearly actually I had a discussion with my papa this morning. You know, he has Parkinson's and I take care of him. And we were talking about kind of this thing. I said, you know, Dad, the problem is that you know for decades by design, our educational system, our entertainment, our media, and our politicians, they've steered so many people towards the idea that it's actually pretty cool to be under government control. It's actually, they're looking out for you. They care about you. And more importantly, they're smarter than you. And if you believe that, and these are the same people who say, I believe in science. 
And so it, it, they constantly, they, they trip over themselves justifying what they do. And then you question them and it's like, well, blah, blah, blah. And, and they try to make us look dumb. You and I, if you follow either of us on Twitter, <laughs> you and I freely admit that we are idiots. But we also, you know what I mean? But we also, we're smart enough to know that, you know, the government doesn't like to give, if they take stuff away from you, they generally don't give it back. Yeah. And that they're very reluctant to do that. And uh, no, I'm with you, man. And, and like I said, what, what's frustrating to me is there was a middle way, you know, there was a middle way that we could try to mitigate this. I also think from a cultural standpoint and this is again i'm not minimizing any anybody's sickness or death you and i've spent a lot of time with death but i would say this there's this weird cultural thing in the united states probably having to do with the fact that people can live so much longer uh diseases trauma other processes that would kill you in the past you're surviving so we have this we're kind of a lot of folks in the in the country are are kind of the distance from death. They don't really see it a lot. Like, you know, they maybe see it when, when an older relative dies. But, you know, every day we walk out the door, we are assuming a certain risk, right? So initially, 55 mile hour per speed limit. Well, because they figured out uh, faster than that, the, the, the death from trauma is higher. So we accepted that. But then we assumed a risk like, you know what, we can go faster on some of these other roads. And so we, we increase the speed limit, knowing, fully assuming that there is a, a, an increased attendant risk to that. But we accept that we just understood that. I mean, by that definition, I could I should not be driving a vehicle because I'm increasing my chance of getting hurt. By that definition, especially me, because I am an idiot, I should probably wear a helmet when I walk outside. And, and again, we have to understand that when this thing came, it, and again, I'm not minimizing it, and, I, and you've been great on this. I'm not saying, oh, it's just a flu, but it's a virus. It's a flu, and it is. We've seen it is it's, it attacks some fairly specific people in the, in the population. Not 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 wholly. There's kids who've been killed. There's apparently healthy people who've been killed. But we in, in the past we kind of assumed that's going to happen. We do the best we can. In this case, because of our absolute fear fear of consequences of getting sick and dying, we literally shut down the country. And, you know, when you and I say something like that, you know, we hate grandpa and the children. And if you know us, that's definitely not true either. Terry Shepard, on my life, everybody, I did not coordinate with him with what I had just said in the previous segment and what you just said. I just talked about driving. Did on you the really? Road. I oh, did. man. Right before you came on, I got on and said, you know, this might be my last broadcast because studies show there's a chance I die on my way home from the studio today. And that's part of life. Period. So you're very, very, very <laughs> wise because you say the things that I say, which means, I mean, that's the greatest compliment I can really give anybody. Terry Shepard, where can people get more of you? Because I know they do. I know they want it, sadly. Yeah, so if they're if they're dumb enough, you know, as they said in Animal House, you effed up, you trusted us. If you uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Terry Shepard, uh, and then also if you go to uh, uh, my my show Hollywood Weapons, all of my stuff is on I think YouTube and and um, uh, Amazon, like my Dude You're Screwed show. I did a show called Warriors with History Channel. Uh, Hollywood Weapons is on Outdoor Channel, the season four, which we actually filmed finished last summer been put off that's being that's going to premiere on Apple channel in about a month and then the other episodes are on amazon and what's called motv it's a my outdoor channel uh, app so if you really want to put up with me that's where you can find me terry appreciate you my brother 
I must the same. The best. Keep all the best to your family and keep fighting the fight, dude. You, I hate to, uh, God, I hate to admit it. I hate to admit it, but you were right. <laughs> we're going to end on that note. <laughs> See you, boss. Look, he's a very smart man. There you go. When's the last time you were looking forward to going back to bed as soon as you woke up in the morning because you slept so well that night? That's where I'm at right now. Well, that's where you can be too right now because you can buy an Ebb Sleep. An Ebb Sleep is a comfortable, wearable device that you put on your head. It applies continuous cooling to your forehead area putting you asleep faster and keeping you asleep. That's the key to staying asleep because we all know what that's like. You wake up in the middle of the night and you roll over and you think, oh, just going to roll over. My shoulder hurts a little. And then that brain starts working again, doesn't it? And soon you've destroyed your night. Not with ebb sleep. It keeps that mind calm. Go to tryebb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the promo code JESSE at checkout and save yourself 25 bucks. Go get yourself an ebb sleep today. If you missed any part... Of the great Jesse Kelly show today. I love him. He's honestly, he's, I swear, he's my favorite radio host. If you missed any part of his show today, you can catch it, the whole podcast. It's on Google, Spotify, iHeart. The whole thing's on iTunes. You can subscribe on iTunes. Highly recommend that. They automatically just download it to your phone. And do not forget to leave a five-star review on iTunes and leave a comment talking about how handsome I am. And you guys have absolutely been killing that lately. Here's some of the more recent ones. <laughs> uh, uh, I used to One of the best shows out there. Go-to podcast, I heard about the tall drink of water with a syrupy voice that is totally dreamy. (laughs) By far the most handsome host on the face of the planet. (laughs) If lit were an inclination, Jesse is the one. Next one, fantastic show. I've been listening to the show for some time now, and I must say... Jesse sounds as handsome as he looks. <laughs> Management's going to be so bad. <laughs> the pinnacle of handsome. His humility is legendary. This may be the best one ever. His humility is legendary, and he backs it up with stunning higher education because of the whole community college thing. His handsome looks are so world famous that his driver's license photo could be in an art museum. <laughs> I absolutely love the Jesse Kelly show. Besides the fact that he blesses us with his genius, he's so handsome. 
You really can't look at him directly. <laughs> Our eyes have not evolved to be able to stare at such magnificence without consequence. <laughs> I love you guys, man. I'm telling you what, you people kill me. So go subscribe on iTunes, leave a five-star review on there. Oh, man. That's too much. Headline. Nearly 200 people arrested, two shot during a go-topless Jeep weekend in in Texas. A raucous Texas beach event known as Go-Topless Jeep Weekend ended with two people hospitalized following a shooting and nearly 200 others arrested on various charges. Galveston County, that's our county, Sheriff Henry Trochesset, I don't know how to say that word, T-R-O-C-H-E-S-S-E-T, said two men were airlifted to the hospital after both of them were shot in the torso. Jeez. During the annual event on Bolivar Peninsula, which brings together thousands of Jeep lovers and four-wheeler enthusiasts, a group of men and women were arguing when the fight escalated and gunshots rang out. What a shock. Conditions of the men hospitalized haven't been released. They might be dead by now. If they are, I'm sorry. Authorities are looking for a third man who fled. No arrests were made. By the time the gatherings ended, more than 180 Attendees had been taken into custody on numerous numerous unrelated charges. The sheriff said charges included assault, driving without wearing a seatbelt, DUI, and public intoxication. You know how I know I'm getting old? Because this doesn't sound like any fun to me at all. And I will admit, you know I don't judge because there's nobody... Nobody on the planet less qualified to judge someone else than me. So I don't judge. But that just sounds miserable. And for much of my life, man, I'd be there with bells on. Woo-hoo. You know what? I would hear about the shooting part, and it wouldn't have even held me back. If the shooting was right next door, I'd have been all, I hope everyone's okay. Anyway, turn up the music, baby. And now I hear about that, and that sounds awful. It sounds, see, this is going to sound so terrible. It's going to sound like I'm so old and lame now, which I guess I am. It sounds smelly. Don't tell me there are a bunch of shower facilities on the beach with a bunch of Jeep people camping out, drinking all day. Then you're sweating and drinking and drinking and sweating, salt water, suntan lotion. You know, you thought Guadalcanal smelled bad. I bet you it's rank. So they're smelly. I bet you money the sand is everywhere. And see, this is this is going to make me sound awful. I'm not a much of a beach guy anymore. I've been on lots of beaches. I'll go on beaches again. I'm not insulting your beaches. Dudes, ladies, by all means, throw on your skimpy little swimwear. Go lay out the beach and sip a margarita. I am not trying to crap on your good time. I'm just more of a lake or pool guy because I go to the beach and there's freaking sand everywhere when I get off the beach. I find it in my belly button. I find it in my ears. And it's not very pleasant. And no matter what you do, you can't get rid of it. Is that old? Does that make me sound old? Shut up, Mitchell.
kind of kind of old. Hang on. Not a big beach guy. Plus, you know what else that go topless Jeep weekend sounds like? It sounds loud. Really loud. I know I'm just, I'm just making myself sound like the lamest person in the world now, but I am. It sounds loud. Could you could you turn that down? It's 9 o'clock. It's time for bed. <laughs> this is what happens when you get old, people. This is what happens when you get old. And you know what else? Because I know I have a bunch of young meatheads who listen to the show. I may be a bit of a meathead. Certainly was a bit of a meathead. You know what you're thinking? Oh, yeah, but go top this Jeep weekend. I bet the chicks down there getting wild. Brother, very few of the women getting wild at go topless Jeep weekend are the ones you want to see getting wild, my man. <laughs> you're just going to have to trust me on that one. That uh, just gave myself a shivers. All right. We're going to do this again tomorrow. We'll have some more fun, y'all. That's all. Jesse Kelly Show. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually my drink was give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam! I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.